Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Beyond Deadlines podcast, where we tackle challenges that schedule leaders come across on a day-to-day basis. My name is Mike Pipo, and I am a schedule manager for Intel. And my name's Greg Lawton. I'm the CEO of an AI schedule management company called Nods and Links. Each podcast is designed to give you frameworks, tactics, and strategies that you can implement right away. Today, our topic is one of my favorites, schedule change management. Without further ado, let's jump right into this. So Greg, you've (laughs) been recruited as the head of scheduling to a contractor who is in negotiation to sign a $2 billion construction contract. The CEO, the man in charge or woman, wishes you to establish a schedule change management procedure that gives your commercial team the most optionality possible to make profit. Anything is currently possible in the contracting framework. How would you go about doing this? Schedule change management is my favorite too. It's a good one. Okay. I've got a couple of questions, if I may, to drill down. So uh, my first question is, what is the contracting team thinking of doing? Are they going to do a firm or fixed price, a cost plus, or a target cost incentive or something else? Oh, let me think about this one. Which one's the hardest one to answer? Uh, let's just go with the cost plus. <laughs> okay. So if we're doing a cost plus, what that means is that we're not taking the risk for uh scope creep or elongation of scope work if anything apart from having negative customer satisfaction and eventually getting booted off the job if the if the project goes longer we earn more money okay um how sophisticated is this customer are we talking they understand qras and will be probably contracting at a p position or are we talking, I'm going to have to do a simple milestone chart? Let's start out with they understand money and they want more of it. They want this job to be um, mm-hmm. delivered within their bounds. Um, and through that process, they're looking for as much dollars as they can. Got it. Okay. And... Drilling down on the cost plus element, are there any? Are they thinking about any incentives to actually drive us to finish the project sooner? Because cost plus and wanting it as fast as possible are diametrically opposed. Let's say that they're not looking for incentives; they're bringing the stick. So they're looking for heavy LDs, heavy punishment. They're being the classic anchorous owner. Got it. Okay. Um, Final question. It's an interesting thing to be asked as the first first question in a job from the CEO to implement this policy. What is on the CEO's mind? Like, what's the driver behind him wanting to get this schedule change management procedure in place? I think he's he's been burned several times in the past, so he's he's mm-hmm. going into this with a history of failed projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's three years in to being a CEO, and he needs the next three to be really good. He's got a large infrastructure program coming up, and 
it's extremely important that when he goes back to the board, these things are dialed in and he has a pathway to, to being profitable. Got it. Okay. So what I'm hearing here is the general base, the general base of the revenue model is cost plus, but there are target cost incentives or more specifically performance disincentives in the form of heavier liquidated damages. We've got a customer that doesn't necessarily understand the intricacies of complex schedule planning, but does understand I want things faster and a CEO who's been burnt, so is looking to reduce risk as much as possible so he can give predictability to estimates of revenues and profit to the board. Okay. Um, you ready to answer the question now? <laughs> I'm ready to answer the question now. Okay, I've got, all the, I've got the information I need. Okay, so uh, first, things, first things first, I would, I would <laughs> rule, rule number one from Sun Tzu Art of War, win before you compete. What I'd look to do in this is I'd look to establish a schedule change management procedure that evaluated as many elements of impact as, as I could possibly justify. The reason I'm saying this is we want all aspects of avenues to put in for a disruption or a delay. And at the other end, given that the client is not the most sophisticated in the world, we want to fight on our turf and not theirs. And I'm using specifically a us and them um, wording here, given that it is a cantankerous owner with heavy liquidated damages. So they've chosen to do this contract in a certain way. Now that what that would look like in principle, and it is, it would be two things. It's what are we evaluating? What is the process for this evaluation? What we're evaluating is a critical path and movement to critical path of key milestones, not just end date deliverable milestones. We're looking for an agreed P position using a Monte Carlo simulation where we get the methodology agreed but and the assumptions agreed and the output is the output. And the reason for that is any change that comes down, I can rerun Monte Carlo simulations and change the P, P dates and therefore my liquidated damage exposure. Now, they might back that back with time risk allowance, which is shared, but it's a it's a feather in the cap um, once time risk allowance is, is used up. What I'd also look at there is resource allocation and disruption. I'd look at risk driver business cases. So for example, if, I, if we agree a P80 position that's 20 days past the deterministic end date of the program, and each day is worth a million in liquidated damages, and I have a risk driver that's 25% of the, the P80 drive over that day, I know that I've got an opportunity of a 5 million acceleration there. If then a change comes in and changes that 25% to let's say 5%, I lose 4 million of the benefit I would have got. Now, if I've already pre-approved a 2 million risk mitigation action strategy, I'm going to need to redeploy that capital and I've got sunk cost, et cetera. So I would have risk mitigation strategies written in there. I'd also have delay, delay and disruption analysis um, so that I could track um, which milestones we were driving and which milestones 
the client was driving and or subcontractors so that I know as we're doing change orders, what I can sweep under the carpet and what I don't need to sweep under the carpet, I can make very obvious. And I look at changes to assumptions, dependencies, and exclusions in each change request. There's a couple more things you can add in, but long story short, it would be a full sweep of every single thing that could possibly change. I would Then we'd get onto the process. I would formalize the process in terms of there is a common format of documentation that I would produce once a change impact assessment. Well, let me... Let me jump in there um, because, I, you know, it sounds like where you're going is you're describing what the optimal scenario is, mm-hmm. um, you know, but oftentimes when you get into this change management space, you know, there's a, a cap to what's possible. So there's a cap to how many changes you can process and how many changes the contractor can process. Uh, and there's obviously some gamemanship there. Mm-hmm. So, thinking about the process, you know, how do you operationally make yourself more effective? So if it gets into a game of who can file the most paper, Mm -hmm. you're in a position to be successful. Beautiful question. So, so the, the, um, there's two strategies that, that I've seen that are prevalent in the market. One is a bundling strategy where you take a number of changes and you bundle them up into one package and evaluate the impact of a single package, normally on a fortnightly or a monthly basis. Or the second is where you uh, randomly select a number of changes that you believe will have deep impact for thorough analysis and you do a much lighter analysis on others. Obviously, you're talking to the CEO of an AI technology company. So what I would do is I would build robots that just did everything in full detail for me. And I'd have selections of people checking and spot checking both the written text and the uh, mathematical calculations to make sure that they're complete. And that, to be honest, is the is the asymmetric advantage that we're getting into nowadays with technology is that I can use this level of technology to pump out more change and more paperwork than other people can at a hundredth of the cost. Now that it's unfair in this situation and listeners of this won't have access to that technology at scale. Um, So I'd probably say it's uh, one of the first two strategies. The other thing, actually there's a third strategy that comes to mind as well, which is keep the skeletons in the closet. So make sure you've got enough ammunition on your side, so you you do it incredibly thoroughly to start with until you've got enough ammunition and then you can start being a little lax with it. Never dropping, never always making sure you never drop below whatever threshold you've desi- you've dis- decided of the amount of ammunition you've got. It's almost like weapons of mass dis- destruction. If uh, you could stop the build and take them to court and they could you know stop paying you and people generally seem to find a way forward. So one question I had, I mean, you talked a lot about, you know, systems and, and we're, we're kind of uh, dancing around, obviously, what we're making up as a challenging environment. Do you ever extend the olive branch at some point? Do you ever try and figure out a way to work with the contractor to smooth things out? Um, 
to go along with some of these robust systems and processes? Oh, a hundred percent. Like the my my answer is geared because we've had a client that's doing a cost plus contract with incredible liquidated damages against. So that that is probably the the most fighty relationship you could kick it off with. I would heavily advise that that is not the route that a lot of clients go down. I'd heavily advise that there is um, an element or a large element of collaboration and incentive driven. It's, it's much better to, to incentivize people with positivity than it is to disincentivize people with punishment. What are some of those incentives that you would recommend people uh, use contract structure and, and incentives mm-hmm. and, I guess, to stack onto that question, how would you go back to the CEO and convince um, him or her, like, why should they change? Beautiful point. So I think the contract ones are are fairly, the fairly obvious, they're out in the market. It's it's, um, risk and delivery predictability and early delivery incentivization on cash and profit. I think the big ones for me is about uh, the shared way of working. It's the more of the soft elements. So shared offices with the client towards a specific goal and um, a very competent client set. And then the other is, if given we're talking about schedule management, is the actual strategy of the schedule itself. So for example, if we're being asked to build a $2 billion dollar construction project and detailed design has not yet been completed, then as a client, I'd be saying I would expect something like five to 10% of schedule change to occur on top of detailed design rollout. So let's actually add question points in the schedule. So let's just say every six weeks of delivery, let's have a week of buffer because we don't know what's going to happen because then that's actually fair. And what I'd say is upfront, um, GC, please make sure that you have the ability to accelerate and you know the cost of acceleration, but also please, please ensure that you're managing the risks so you don't blow those change procedures out. So I'd just be, I'd be very cognizant of how variable the project actually is and essentially play it fairly so that people have an opportunity to 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 better it and i think about this with my teams it's almost like do you give someone an objective that's so clearly unachievable that that demotivates them or do you give someone an objective that's very achievable and when they hit it around 50 percent into the time period you can stretch them and push them further yeah. Yeah. And I, I love what you said earlier about coming in with an understanding of what schedule acceleration looks like. Often our GCs aren't given that question. It's hit this date or else. And if you come in saying, here's our date, here's some of the, you know, the different sorts of buffer and how much it costs, but also let me know how you can accelerate. You start working together then on, oh, maybe pulling this project in is you know, enticing to me and the, and the cost of that acceleration is worth it. And that's, that's a really good optionality. Where else do you see optionality in the change management process that, you know, really benefits programs or would help people out that, you know, you know, some people might not be thinking of. 
So I think I think a massive opportunity actually lies in the risk analysis and assessment. So I've seen a, a large amount of scheduled trains requests just evaluated on whether or not they hit the critical path. The the schedule risk element offers um, offers financial incentives to both parties. So I'll give you an example. If we've agreed a P80 position, again, that's 20 days past our deterministic end date, and each day is worth a million, and um, I've identified a change that that could benefit us by 5 million, by the rules of planning, that is acceleration. But also, on the client side, they have a benefit in not overrunning and being able to open their asset early. So let's say that this construction contract is a railway, you can open the railway earlier and you can make ticket sales, et cetera, et cetera. So both parties are incentivized in that. And what I have seen in the best project is where both the client and the GC will joint fund those risk mitigation areas and joint take responsibility. So for example, if one of them is right. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to invest in uh, changing the calendars and doing double shifts over a period of weekends. But client, you also need to get me these handover items earlier than expected. That's actually a collaboration that both people can work. Now, that only works if the change management progresses, because if a change comes up in future that nullifies that business case, everyone can make the decision of do we want to accept this change because it nullifies the savings that we've made or do we want to leave it the way it is and it means that everyone's on the same page i think i think that the evaluation of risk is a huge area that i see a lot of clients and contractors not leveraging to the the fullest extent that they could yeah and not to leave this was on a cliffhanger i have loads more questions but we value your time here. We want to give you strong tactics and frameworks that you can go out and use on a daily basis and do that in a manner that you don't have to listen to hours and hours of content for. And so for this session, we're going to wrap it up. Greg, is there any final thoughts you want to leave to the crowd? Ooh, um, I'd, I'd say that with schedule change management, it always state out your intentions before you embark on thinking about a process. So is this collaborative or is this combative? Is the objective of this to decrease risk, to generate profit, to um, enable ourselves to adapt to the flexibility of the project? The procedures that you need to implement will drastically vary based on what you're trying to achieve. And that needs to be the very first conversation. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone for joining us and we'll catch you next time on Beyond Deadlines.